Good morning, everyone. Before we read God's word, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray we will be doers of your word and not just hearers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, very good morning, church. The Lord be with you on this blessed Christmas morning. And if you are visiting us, we extend a warm welcome to you. And to you who are from Christ Church, we are glad that you can join us this morning. And to those joining us online, the Lord be with you too. Now, Maylin and I wish you all joy and peace of God this Christmas. Now, we are all familiar with the Christmas story, aren't we? And it's so familiar because uh, that, that, was, that has been read to us earlier from the Gospel of Luke. And when we are familiar with something, the danger is that we, we tend to take it for granted. And so with the Christmas story, well, we may listen to it casually because our ears tell us that we have heard it all before. And our subconscious mind then blocks it out and our hearts are no longer enchanted by the momentous event of Christ's birth. And if we are more excited about the latest Super Spider-Man movie or the sales at the shopping centre, if we are more fascinated with the attractions of the world than with the story of the incarnation of the Son of God, we need to confess <clears throat> we need to be captivated once again by the Christmas story. And the best way to be again enthralled by the Christmas story is to listen carefully to what God's word says about it and know that it is a true account of the birth of Jesus which is rooted in history at the time when Caesar Augustus ordered a census throughout the Roman Empire. And the story was recorded by real people, Matthew and Luke. And they were living in places that are still standing today, Bethlehem and Nazareth. But the most convincing reason why the Christmas story is true is this. The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. God had promised the good news of salvation through Jesus centuries before it happened. You see, about 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that a day would come 
when God would send the Messiah to the world. The Messiah is God's chosen king, and he will bring God's people back to God, and he will establish a new world to replace this broken world, and he will reign, he will rule with everlasting joy and peace. This is what the Christmas story is about. And so if you have your Bible with you, follow me as we look at the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, verse 1 uh, begins with these words of great comfort. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Now, the people in distress are the Israelites. They are in distress because they are in exile. As a people, the Israelites have gone through a two-stage exile, beginning with the northern ten tribes of Israel taken captive in Assyria. And then about 150 years later, the remaining two tribes of Judah and Benjamin went into captivity in Babylon. And so you can imagine the exile. The exile is a terrible time of suffering and of humiliation for the Israelites. And rightly so, because the exile was God's punishment on Israel for her persistent disobedience and her persistent idolatry. But Isaiah says a time is coming when God's punishment will end and the distress and the gloom will be over. And so if you were an Israelite hearing this news, if you were in exile hearing this news, you would be rejoicing. You would be thinking of the end of the Babylonian exile and you cannot wait to return to your homeland again. And so you would ask with great expectation, when will the gloom be over? Well, Isaiah's answer suggests that the lifting of the gloom will take place at a time beyond the end of the exile. For sure, the end of the exile is something to be excited about. But Isaiah says that the end of the gloom is beyond the end of the exile. And the, the end of the gloom and distress will happen when the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali become Galilee of the nations. Now, you see, if you were to look up the maps uh, in your Bible, uh, let me see, where's the map? Okay. You, you will find that the ancient land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali occupy the same geographic region as the province of Galilee around the Sea of Galilee. And in the course of ancient history, a change of name occurred, and this had great significance for all people. Look at the second part of verse 1. Isaiah says, In the past, he, referring to God, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Natalie. But in the future, he, God, will honor Galilee of the nations, by the way of the sea, beyond 
the Jordan. Now, Zebulun, Zebulun and Naphtali were the two northernmost tribes of Israel that suffered the humiliation of being the first to be invaded by the Assyrians and sent into exile. That was in the past. But in the future, when the same northern region of Israel has been renamed, God will honour Galilee of the nations. Now, Galilee of the nations is so named because during the exile, many foreigners had populated the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so when the exile ended about 500 years before Christ, the region had a mixed population of Jews and Gentiles. And so it became known as Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. So that's how uh, Galilee of the Gentiles got its name. So the question is, how will God honour Galilee? Well, Isaiah tells us in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, of course, Isaiah is using light and darkness as metaphors. Now, darkness in the Bible often symbolizes three things. One, it symbolizes ignorance or lack of knowledge. Not scientific knowledge, but knowledge about the spiritual things of God. Two, darkness also symbolizes evil and sin. And three, darkness is also used in the Bible to symbolize God's judgment. And hell is de described as a place of darkness. And all people are under God's judgment because all people are sinners. And so we are sinful people walking in darkness. And this world is a world of deep darkness. But one day Isaiah says, the darkness will be swept away. It will be swept away by the coming of a great light. And this great light will first appear in Galilee of the nations. And that is how God will honour Galilee. And when the light appears in Galilee, there will be no more ignorance about the things of God. And there will be an evil and sin will be overcome. And God's judgment will end. And what a wonderful world this would be. And this is good news for all of us, isn't it? And so we naturally want to ask, what is this light that will dispel the darkness? Is it special knowledge? Is it a new religion? Well, it is none of this. And if you were to look further down the same chapter of Isaiah 9, uh, look down to uh, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah will tell us, that this great light is a very special person. Let me read uh, verses 6 and 7. Um, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his government and, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So this is the description of the Messiah, God's chosen king. Isaiah is saying that the Messiah is the light that will shine in Galilee. And he will establish the kingdom of God here on earth and rule it in peace and righteousness forever. Now notice that Isaiah is also saying something unique about the Messiah. He is not only a human being. He is also divine because his name is called Mighty God. And so the Messiah is what theologians call a God-man. A God-man. A man who is fully human, but he is also fully God at the same time. And so you may wonder, can such a person exist? Well, you fast forward 700 years to the time of Augustus Caesar. And the New Testament historian and writer, Luke, tells us that Augustus Caesar has ordered a census in the Roman Empire. And everyone is required to return to their hometown. And this brings Joseph and Mary, who were in Nazareth, a town in Galilee, back to Bethlehem. And when they arrive in Bethlehem, there is no room for them. And Mary gives birth to Jesus. And some nearby shepherds have been keeping watch over their flock at night. And then when an angel appears to them, and the shepherds are rightly terrified, but the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now notice that at his birth, the angels introduced Jesus as saviour, messiah, and Lord. Now, Lord is the Old Testament title for God. And so, what is happening here? God has taken on flesh. And so, Jesus is the God-man, just as Isaiah had prophesied. And so at the first Christmas, God's promise to honour Galilee was fulfilled. And Jesus was the God-man. And he would grow up in Nazareth. And he would begin his ministry in Galilee. And Jesus would go on to teach the, his disciples and the people that he is the light of the world. And in his account of the Gospel, the Apostle John introduces Jesus as the light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness tried to overcome Jesus, but failed because Jesus lived 
the perfect sinless life and Jesus becomes God's mighty work to destroy the darkness. So Jesus is God's promise to lift the gloom and end the distress, our distress. So even today, humanity is in distress. We are still in exile, not a political exile like the Babylonian exile. Our exile is a spiritual exile. You see, we are separated from God and we are far away from our true home in paradise. And there is a gloom hanging over all of us. And there seems to be no way home. But thanks be to God, Jesus has come to set us free, to lift the gloom of darkness and lead us home. And how will Jesus do that? Well, as light of the world, Jesus will dispel the darkness of our ignorance. He will dispel the darkness of evil and sin. And finally, he will end or he will dispel the darkness of God's judgment. So let's explore each of these a bit more. Firstly, as light of the world, Jesus has come to dispel the darkness of our ignorance. Our ignorance about ourselves and about God. You see, we human beings like to think of we, we see ourselves as basically good people. And if we are bad, it is because of our environment or because of adverse circumstances that we experience. So we blame our parents, we blame our teachers, we blame the government, we blame everyone else but ourselves. But Jesus corrects our ignorance. He corrects our, the ignorance about ourselves. Jesus says that we are bad because we are bad. Jesus says that no one is good except God. And we are not good because all of us have a heart problem. We have a naturally uh, sinful heart. And if we are honest with ourselves, our experience tells us that we are sinners. Without being taught, we do sin in words, in thoughts, and in deeds. And so what does that mean for us if no one is good except God? It means that we are separated from God and we will face His judgment. And yet in our ignorance, human beings think that we can avoid God's judgment. How? Well, some people avoid God's judgment by denying His existence. If there is no God, there is no judgment. So what's the big deal? So that's their ignorance. Others show their ignorance by thinking that they can appease God on their own terms, on their terms. And we kind of wrongly think that if we are sincere and if we try our best to be good and if we offer sacrifices, we can approach God and God will not refuse us. So we wrongly think that all religions lead us to God. But again, Jesus corrects our ignorance. He says, religion does not lead us to God. 
only a personal trust in him will lead us to God. And that is a very bold claim. And Jesus goes on to say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God except through him. And the reason Jesus is the only way to God is because Jesus is the God-man. As the God-man, Jesus is the only mediator between human beings and God. <clears throat> so Jesus is the final word by which God has revealed himself to humankind. And to know Jesus is to know God. So this Christmas, will you put your trust in Jesus and put away your ignorance about God? I hope you will. So we come to the second uh, 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 thing that as light of the world, uh, Jesus has also come uh, to dispel the darkness of evil. Now the Apostle John in his first letter says this, the reason the Son of God, and that's Jesus, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You see, the devil, Satan, has enslaved humanity through sin. And sin is inside each of us, in our heart. And it makes us do things that displease God. And it puts us outside of God's presence. And it puts us outside of God's blessings. And sin blinds us to our own sinfulness. We are unable to see our own faults. We may think that we are good people when we are not. And as a result of our spiritual blindness, we die. Sin leads us to death. But Jesus, he has come to destroy the devil's work. And he has come to save humanity from sin and death. Jesus lived a sinless life. And he offered his perfect life as a sacrifice. But, God, but death could not hold him. And God raised him from the dead. And so by his death and resurrection, Jesus broke the power of the devil who holds the power of sin and death over all of us. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, Jesus gives us the power to overcome sin. And Jesus gives us new life. And so we thank God that because of Christmas, we can overcome evil and sin. And live again. Now, thirdly, Jesus has come as light of the world to dispel the darkness of judgment. Now, we are all under judgment because we have sinned against the holy God. But Jesus came to end God's judgment on humanity by taking the punishment on himself. And Jesus came to be the substitutionary sacrifice that takes away God's judgment that we deserve. And so on the cross, Jesus paid the full penalty our sins deserve. So our sins are therefore forgiven 
and we are saved from judgment. But we must first put our trust in Jesus. And the Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle John recorded these words of Jesus. He says, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So what a great blessing God has given to us through Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, we will live again. You see, Jesus died so that we will live again, even though we die. And we will live again in a new resurrection body, just like Jesus. So brothers and sisters, family and friends, my prayer this Christmas is that you will put your trust in Jesus and let Jesus shine his light in your life and you will receive the gift of eternal life. And so you can see why Christmas is such good news to all of us. And it is such a captivating story. And it is true. And therefore we can rejoice always. So let us rejoice that Jesus is the light of the world who has come to defeat sin and Satan and to save us from judgment and to lead us home to God. And more than that, let us rejoice that God is always good. God is always faithful. He keeps his promises. And so during these past two years of pandemic, you may be struggling with financial difficulties. You may be suffering health issues. You may be hurting because of broken relationships. And you may be troubled by uncertainties about the future. But whatever distress you are experiencing, let this Christmas be a reminder that God is a God of promise. And God will always keep his word. And his word is that he will end the gloom. He will end our distress. So therefore, we can be joyful and hopeful. And we can keep our hope high because Jesus will come again. He will come again to establish the new world and he will right all wrongs and fix all that is broken. And he will wipe away all tears and there will be no more pain, no more suffering and no more death. And Jesus will rule forever with justice and righteousness and we will dwell with our good and gracious God forever and the world will be perfect and be the beautiful place that it is supposed to be let us pray Lord Jesus Christ the prophets foretold of your coming the heavens celebrated your birth and you are the good news of great joy you are the light in this world of darkness, and your church now praise you in every language, for we have seen your salvation. Heavenly Father, fill us with the joy of your peace this Christmas, and may your spirit enable us to share the good news with courage. Make us a people who follow you in holiness, and give us generous hearts to love our neighbours, 
and produce in us the abundant fruit of the Spirit through the power of the name of Jesus the Son and for the glory of God the Father. Amen. We're going to sing again um, as we think about the Christmas message and also in preparation for um, the Lord's Supper together. So please stand. Um, this next carol might be unfamiliar to some of you, so we're going to repeat the first verse, and please join along when you feel comfortable.